Nous avons invoqué Kos, et elle est morte. Que nous soyons pardonnés, que nos ennemis soient maudits. Hi, Richie. Hi, Sim. Hi, everyone. What are we doing here today? Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> Who did you get? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? You got a guest on your podcast? <laughs> who do we get, Richie? <laughs> Redgrave, say who you are. Hi, I'm Redgrave. I wrote The Pale Blood Hunt, and I made how many episodes of The Little Things in Yarnum are there? Probably ten or so. I made ten YouTube videos about uh, some silly little things in Bloodborne that I enjoyed. Hmm. And today we're going to talk about The Hunter's Nightmare. their children too, and their children forever true. A call to the bloodless wherever they be. Whose voice do we hear during the cutscene where the amygdala picks us up? And what is the amygdala? The voice, I believe, if I remember correctly, you can hear that voice in the background at the fishing hamlet, right? Yeah, yeah. The women in the huts, yeah. Yeah. Curse their children and their children's children forevermore. A bottomless curse, a bottomless sea, source of all greatness, all things that be. A call to the bloodless wherever they be. A call to the bloodless wherever they be. So, uh, presumably, it's someone referring to the curse of cause and, and the stuff that's been taking place there. And what is the amygdala? And the question here from Princess Capertiller? Capertile? I guess it's, it's Caterpillar with the... It's Caterpillar reversed, but I'm not sure how, how Her Majesty would like me to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the question is, why is it that the, the, the amygdala take you to the hunter's nightmare? And I think that's an awesome question because that definitely seems to be the case that they take you there because you have the blood drunk eye hmm. and it's the item you need in order to access the DLC and in order to access the hunter's nightmare. And also the one that, that patches talks to takes you to the research hall in the nightmare yeah. because you have the tonsil stone. So it definitely seems like the goal of the amygdala is to take things from one place to another, depending on whatever properties they have. So it takes you to the hunter's nightmare because you have the blood drunk eye, because it perceives you to be a blood drunk hunter, and it knows that blood drunk hunters are supposed to go in the hunter's nightmare. And you hmm. know the amygdala has like, um, I don't know if you call them indentations or marks on like its palm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. What are those for? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the unique thing about the the amygdala, which I guess we'll just we'll decide that's the plural, 
is that like all the other great ones are they're a unique thing. There's like one cause and one ebrietus and one mm-hmm. rom. But then when you get to the amygdala, they're like a species. Right. They appear on mass and they specifically appear on mass around where menses are doing their ritual. Right, but they're not there before the ritual takes place. They show up afterwards. Yeah. So I, I viewed them almost like um like they're attracted to sort of breaches between the waking world and the dreamlands. They like congregate around them. It's funny you mention that. I've I've always sort of thought of them as kind of like the janitors of the cosmos, mm. like because they seem to be involved in cleaning things up. Right? Mm. If you're a blood drunk hunter, you're supposed to go in the hunter's nightmare, so it takes you there, sweeps you there. If you have the tonsil stone for whatever reason, it knows you belong in the nightmare research hall or the the frontier. Yeah. And then you go to Mensis where they have all this kind of stuff and they're just purging the place clean. Yeah. I almost kind of think of them as just, you know, maintenance workers mm. in, in whatever grand cosmic order you have. I saw it more kind of like, um, like if there's a drop of blood in the ocean, like all the sharks oh, will sure. rush to it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. This is like, there's a little bit of a rift between the waking world and the dreamland. So the amygdala sort of shoals of them sort of appear around it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that also. The one outlier is the one at Erden chapel. Right. And I think that's because it's Erden chapel. Like there's a great one sort of presence enshrined there. So it's like stuck to it. Well, you, I mean, under your, sort of theory of them as being attracted to those. You could think yeah, of the yeah. chapel as being so inherently troublesome that one mm. of them might always be attracted there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in movies, I'm thinking, like, older movies, you have, like, these phone operators in front of, like, switches. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm envisioning yeah. amygdala as now. It's like yeah, You know, those were also in real life, those phone operators. but you know how like maybe the amygdala is a phone operator you tell it like i have the stone take me there that's why it has so many arms because it's got all so many fingers because it needs an extra finger to press all the buttons on the on the switch yeah sure i could see that okay thank you Richie would have bullied me now because he'd be like, that is such a silly idea. No, 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 I, no, no, I think I would have said exactly what Redgrave said and you would have yelled, oh, bully, 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 and then posted <laughs> about it on Twitter. <laughs> I'll admit the only bits of this podcast I've seen are the, are whenever I see Rich or you, some sometimes your tweets will cross my my feed on Twitter or on Discord or whatever of the two of you just yelling at one not yelling at one another but but ribbing at one another <laughs> okay thank you thank you rich and redgrave uh do you guys have anything else you'd like to say about the amygdala uh well redgrave was mentioning like the one that we fight doesn't have the head tentacles it doesn't seem to line up it seems to only be there to be a boss fight yeah yeah every every other one of them we see very much seems completely disinterested in humans like they they kind of just don't even really consider you a as a threat or b as something worthy of interest sometimes they'll pick you up and they'll go oh that's interesting whatever and then they'll just drop you because they don't actually do damage to you when they pick you up. What's doing damage to you is the frenzy you're taking. 
Yeah. So it, it, it's it, it, that one boss fight in the Nightmare Frontier doesn't really fit the mold. And it's also like Patches talks like he's offering you to that amygdala as a sacrifice. Like that specific one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, spo- I suppose it does. But but also, do you really think that I, I can't in any way imagine that the amygdala actually even knows what Patches is or cares? Um, probably not Patches as an individual. But, like, they, they seem to be aware of, like, like if they're attracted to what you're doing, they must be aware of what you are. Yes, If they sure. can detect, like, a blood-drunk eyeball, then they must know, like... They yeah, must no. be dimly aware, yeah. They are, they are, but I, I can't imagine it being like, ah, yes, my, my servant has yeah. brought me a new sacrifice. Oh, yeah, yeah, Patches, like, Patches is, like, mad. Like, he's just, right. he, he thinks the amygdala's... Like, he thinks he's a servant of this thing, but... Like, he's... Patches is clearly insane. Like, he just... He thinks that this thing is, like, his god. Right. Yeah. So he's like a crazed fan stalking a celebrity. Yes. Sure. Huh. Makes sense. Okay, thank you, Richie and Redgrave. You're welcome. Could you read the next question? Beautiful Bear in a Tutu asks, The Hunter's Nightmare should be relatively recent considering it's a result of what German and the Dignity City pals did at the Fishing Hamlet. Uh, for Redgrave's benefit, Dignity City is what we call Bergenworth. <laughs> Good name for it. Yes, because Berg means city and worth is your sense of dignity. That's terrible. <laughs> I no longer like the name. Go on, Richard, read the question. <laughs> and yet, the presence of so many amygdala corpses makes it seem positively ancient. Am I seeing a contradiction where there is none? Is there any explanation for the amygdalas that doesn't come down to the art direction? Um, I think referring to, like, there's that, there's, there's like a dead amygdala, and then under it you yes, find the leading into the party case. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's like we were saying that um, before, like, amygdalas seem to be just drawn to, like, where there's a... Uh, like a breach. So I'm guessing like, I mean, it, it can be, yeah, they're the only, they're the only creatures we know of other than the moon presence, I guess that freely travels around in between the different layers of the, the waking world and the dream. Yeah, the moon presence yeah, yeah. does, but the only one, the, the other than that, the only ones we know of are the amygdala, which appear to just be able to come and go as they wish. Yeah. They're like a, like a species that live in like the gaps between the realities. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's like, I don't think there's much of a contradiction hmm. there. Cause it's just like, and also it's, it's kind of like, it's near roughly where like the Ahagul shit would be going on in, um, in, uh, the waking world. So it's probably just like, yeah, it's hanging around. Okay. Thank you. So now let's move on to the Hunter's Nightmare. Okay. Could you generally tell us? What is the Hunter's Nightmare? The whole of the DLC takes place in sort of a reverse chronological order in which you, you start at the powder kegs burning Old Yarnum, and then you go to the church in its infancy, and then you go back to the source of it, the fishing hamlet. Yeah. And the, the way that they, like, explicitly describe it is it's like growth. The massacre at the hamlet is the seed, and then everything grows outward from there. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah. 
And Daniel is asking, why is it called the Hunter's Nightmare specifically? It's a good question. And I'm actually curious because off the top of my head, I'm, I, I must have known at one point, but off the top of my head, I don't know. Do we, do we know what the Japanese title of the Hunter's Nightmare is? I think it's just Hunter's Nightmare. It's just Hunter's Nightmare? I'm pretty sure, yeah. It's interesting because it, it could have two meanings and the, depending on the possessiveness of it. It could be the nightmare of hunters or the nightmare with hunters. Yes. Right? And so uh, I imagine it's probably called the hunter's nightmare A, because it, it it's a good reverse thematic to the hunter's dream. And it's mm-hmm. also because it's it is where the hunters go. Yeah. That's not, like, literally what the thing is called. It's like Nightmare of Mensis. Right. Exactly. It's not a place called the Nightmare of Mensis. It's the, it's a nightmare that Mensis discovered. It's so a it, romantic it's called, title, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's, they just claimed it. Like, okay, we're Mensis. This is the nightmare. We found it. It's ours. Our Nightmare of Mensis. Oh. Yeah. So it's called the Hunter's Nightmare because it's where the hunters get taken by the amygdala, we assume. Uh, presumably by them, we know, because the, the old hunter's garb says that the hunters disappeared. It says that they disappeared, and, and, like, it's written as though they all disappeared in, like, one night. They all just vanished. Right, and and also right. specifically that they were blood drunk. Yes. So it, it, it's it's presented as this thing that occurred, and that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, it, and that, Yarnamite's uh, whispered of the hunter's sin or the hunter's curse yes. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, presumably, what it is, what occurred was that at some point the hunters were taken by the amygdala to the hunters, presumably by the amygdala, since that's the only known method of traveling there we have, other than what this, uh, other than potentially falling from a higher place to a lower place. Uh, but other than that, the only... Well, it also seems like you can end up there just through, like, the death of your physical form. Your consciousness sort of endures there. See, I... I, I don't know if that's the case, because we, we see no real evidence of it operating like that. Because we have Maria in there, and we have yeah. the first vicar in there, but none of them are accurate. But, like, do you think that, like, when you're talking about Lawrence, Lawrence clearly didn't get grabbed by an amygdala, did he? Right, but also, Lawrence is the bloodletting beast in the Chalice Dungeons. That's what I mean. Like, Lawrence is not, like, he he's there in, in the form of a consciousness. But I, I don't think it's him. I, just like I don't think that all the beasts walking around are actual beasts that were taken to the Hunter's Nightmare. I think that the first vicar, which is the boss fight you fight, yeah, is yeah. sort of a representation of Lawrence, the perception of him as this, you know, source, the source of the fire. Do I don't actually think Lawrence was ever actually on fire. Yeah, same, yeah. But to, to me, like, the way that what you do is you give that beast the skull, and then the be- it, it it falls on the ground, it begins clutching its head, and then the fight is Lawrence trying to get his memory back. So to me, that makes it feel like it is a more personal thing. That is actually, like, on some level, like the remnants of Lawrence's consciousness trying to get his memories back. 
more so like it's a representation but it's it's a subjective representation it's not a representation that came from outside of him hmm. Hmm. same with um like maria and ludwig oh with with ludwig i think it's entirely possible that he was just taken there and then slowly yeah. became more and more blood drunk because we have no evidence that ludwig ever died or anything like that like with maria we have her grave where she's presumably buried and with lawrence we have his corpse which is being puppeted around in the chalice dungeons yeah but with ludwig i think it's entirely possible that he was just taken there back when he was a regular hunter along with the rest of them and then became you know the horse monstrosity right can you tell us who created the Hunter's Nightmare and why? Well, I don't know if create is the right word, but it, it, it definitely seems as if it was caused by Gehrman and Maria and possibly other of the first hunters murdering, or not mur- murdering the orphan of cause. That, right. That seems to be the source of it. Um... Given the chanting in the fishing hamlet, it's possible that survivors of that genocide may have prayed to something, but I'm not entirely sure if, like, because it's not as if, the like we said earlier, it's not as if Mensis created the nightmare of Mensis and then went and lived inside of it. And it's not as if something created uh, the hunter's nightmare, I don't think. I think it's sort of... grew more naturally than that. It's the people in the hamlet chanting and chanting and chanting, and they they summoned forth Cos, we assume, because that's who they're talking to in their prayers. And then Cos is just like... They're talking to Cos, but Cos is dead. Like, Cos is a washed up, is a beached whale, basically. Well, it's it's hard to say what is and isn't dead at this point, because it can, like... Yeah, so like th- this is this is what happens with the whole nightmare thing is that there is the orphan who is at the very end of that thing and the orphan is looking toward that horrible cracked sun. And that is the cracked that image of the cracked sun you see that in the blood drunk eye and you see it in the intro when the Yanamite has the gun held to his head. There's a very obvious thing. Yes. That that looks to be okay, this is the sign that causes cursing you, is you have this this cracked pattern in your eye your eye is sort of collapsing in on itself when you beat the orphan mm-hmm. and then the orphan spirit goes away that the person in the hamlet gives a little speech about okay the child has returned to the ocean right. and then the the cracked sun disappears yeah. the storm stops and then if you talk to uh, these dolls she's like oh german's sleeping soundly he never has before right so i interpret that as like okay this whole thing is caused by like it's the wrath of mother cause being visited on yarnum because of what they did to the orphan once you get rid of the orphan you like dispel the orphan's suffering everything is like you sort of repaired the damage that was done to an extent so cause is no longer angry so the nightmare is like it's the the sort of the thing that sets it off is like the people in the hamlet summon cause to place the curse on the hunters and it grows from there on so removing the anger of cause kind of like closes the nightmare like it's it's done now but it's so it's going to persist there in the same way that the hunter's dream will persist if there's no moon presence sure yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Yeah. And Marie asks, who shapes the particular nightmare? We meet several hunters, but some areas seem to be shaped specifically after the minds of one hunter, for example, Maria, whereas other areas seem to be more general, torture-like. The, the nightmares themselves, like, if you look at, it's not as obvious in the, night, the hunter's nightmare, um, as in, like, if you look at the Nightmare Frontier and the Nightmare of Menses, is that those places are, like, they're, they're protean. They're, like, constantly growing. They're organic in nature. Yeah, there's blood and sinew underneath. Yeah, you look at the walls yeah. of the... And, and it's hard to tell because with the hunter's dream, the hunter's dream is a representation of a real place. And the hunter's yeah. nightmare is a representation of a real place. And the research hall is a representation of presumably a real place, even though we never get to go inside of it. Yeah. So it's hard to tell how much of the Nightmare Frontier and the Nightmare of Mensis is based on a real place that's just very far away that we never get a chance to go to. But oh, I'm, I'm getting to that. <laughs> oh, go ahead then. Okay. Okay. So, like, the um, we brought up the Hunter's Nightmare and the Nightmare Frontier and the way that they are, like, they are really warped places. Like, they're, they're, the um, the stones that they, they're made of these, like, basalt columns that almost look like the bloodstones that you use to upgrade your weapons with. Mm-hmm. And around the Nightmare of Menses, you actually see in certain spots, there's, like, little little sort of blood-like fountains sort of very slowly right, rising. and they're cracked open, and you see the crystallized blood inside yeah. of them. Yeah, so these places are shifting and being, like, it looks like they're being shaped based on the consciousnesses that are there. So my take on it is that, like, the Hunter's Nightmare looks like a... a a, like nightmare version of Yana because it hasn't subjectively been around that long and it's just shaped by the memories of the people who were taken this. They haven't been there that long. So they have these, these memories of like Yarnum, but as this like off kilter place that's full of blood and fire and monsters. Well, and it's full of blood drunk powder kegs. So yeah, they're yeah. obviously their perception of the world is of, uh, you know, rivers of blood and burning towers and, yeah, that sort of thing, because that's where yeah. their fate ultimately led them to. Yeah. So then you look at the nightmare of Mensis and the nightmare frontier, and it's inhabited by these, like, it's either the silver based things or it's the weird giants. And that looks like if you assume they have been there for a very, very long time, the longer they've been there, the, the less kind of like reason they have, the more they have eroded and become things of the nightmare. The world has shaped along with that. So I might take, like, I've talked about this. I don't think I've talked about it with Redgrave, but I've talked about it with Sin a fair bit. The setup of the Nightmare of Mensis, it looks a lot like the Grand Cathedral in the Waking World. You mean the way you open the doors and, and you enter it into the, except instead of the statues, there's giant spiders everywhere. Yeah, but also things like the way that there's the big glowing brain thing that kind of looks like the clock and it's facing a bridge like the bridge that we go to. Right. So I'm taking the way I take it is like that is it's the game kind of cueing you into this is a similar place. But over time, everything has just like degraded and warped into this strange shape. Well, if you follow my theory, my personal theory is that that take alt is that's where Lauren is. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. So, yeah, this is Laura. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I know I, I every time I say that in anything, I get people going, mm, it's not Laura, it's the Nightmare Fences. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's Laura. And uh, yeah. everything you hear about Lauren is that what happened in Yarnum happened in Lauren, too. 
Yep. Yep. If the player never came to Yarnum, you can imagine a scenario in which 2,000 years later, this is what Yarnum looks like. Yeah. Well, no, what I was getting at is 2,000 years later, this is what the Hunter's Nightmare would look like. Sure. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because eventually everything that's there would just be these, these like, blood-drunk powder kegs and, like, monsters and things. So their memory is gradually fading. Except you have the newer residents in the Nightmare of Mensis who are more or less protean. You have the Mensis scholars who are there, and yeah. you have the Winter Lanterns. Yeah, and yeah. you have the the spider scholars. I forget what their yeah. official name is, and the dog crows and that sort of thing, which which feel to be a more recent addition to something which was there a very long time. Yeah, and possibly the um, depending on how you interpret it, the the like silver guard people. Yes, sure, the attendants yes. of Mergo. Yeah, because yeah, they presumably came looking for Mergo. Or they spawned around Murgo, or, or yeah, yeah. It's well. I mean, they they do seem to be like like if you um if you take a good look at those things, they they look they're just like Thumerians in like stylized right. yeah. kind of pregnant woman shaped armor sets. And masked. Yeah. So, so it, it's some ceremonial. Yeah, it's not like they're weird sort of monster things. They're just wearing some like yeah. Is that all. This is what happens when Rich and I get on a podcast together, basically. <laughs> I guess, like, we were talking, yeah, just, like, we talked about this with, with the Dreamlands in Lovecraft. The idea that, like, the Dreamlands are a place. It's not actually a dream people are having. It's a place you go when you dream, but it's still, it exists when you're well, not Well, it's there. not a place you go but, when you dream. It's a place yeah, you project when there. you project yeah. there. Which It's because traveling yeah. there physically is very different. It's different. Yeah, um, yeah, method yeah. of transportation. Yeah, but the the point being that, like in the Lovecraftian Dreamlands, if you are a skilled enough like dreamer, then you can start exerting your will on the world around you. You can start dreaming up things, right? Uh, right, and this is like it's that, but it's happening on a kind of unconscious level, right? And 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 the more I'm trying to think, of, more potent individuals there tend to create a greater sphere of influence. So you have Maria in the research hall, and she seems to have created this sphere of influence around her that is pretty ironclad to her torment and her nightmare. Yes. Her personal, you know, sin. Thank you. So there are a couple of questions here about the hunter's nightmare and the hunter's dream. Okay. Hmm. Xanthus Princess Marionette is asking, where is the hunter's nightmare in relation to the rest of the dreams, specifically the hunter's dream? And Jay is asking, do the hunter's dream and hunter's nightmare exist on the same plane of existence, or are they on different levels, so to speak? Well, we can answer the relationship to the rest of the dreams pretty easily, because... If you view it on the the stacked um, method of of laying out the Dreamlands, which was in the base game, but is way more in the DLC. Um, and I don't think it's yeah. a perfect model, but it, it is it is an okay one. You you see the Hunter's Dream on the very very bottom, 
because all of the gravestones tell you that you're awakening above ground. And because there's nothing underneath the hunter's dream, you look down and you see absolutely nothing. The hunter's nightmare is beneath the nightmare frontier and the nightmare of Mensis. Because from the nightmare frontier, you can see the mass of the fishing hamlet. And you see, presumably, at least if you subscribe to my theory, you see that cause. My theory is that cause fell from the nightmare frontier into the ocean and washed up at the fishing hamlet. That's why Mikolash is there looking for cause. That's why you have the crawlers in Lauren, which look like more advanced versions of causes, uh, praying slug women. And uh, so that's my theory is that it, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I just take it as like, as we were saying, Lauren went through everything that Yarnum's going through now. So I just take it as like, okay, Lauren produced cause in the same way that like the game produces us. Sure. So like, wait a minute. Lauren produced its great one, its great one was Cause, then Cause gets summoned however many thousand years later, and that sets off Bloodborne, basically. Uh, well, a lot of things set off Bloodborne. <laughs> because it's, it's like three different curses occurring simultaneously. Is sort of yeah, and like a couple, like, you know, like a thousand years after the childhood's beginning ending, like, we'll get summoned, and then this will all happen again. Maybe. Yeah, because the childhood's beginning thing seems to be in direct opposition to what I perceive as the main conflict in Bloodborne, which is the conflict between Odin and the Moon Presence. Um, right, and I know you have very different thoughts about Odin than I do. Um, yeah, but see, do you think that in Lauren someone defeated the Moon Presence or defeated a Great One and became another Great One, basically? I don't know if they... Def- well, see, my take on Childhood's Beginning's ending is that it's not that, like, beating the Moon Presence triggers you to turn into a Great One. It's that you were kind of on the way already after consuming the three swords. Sure. And the reason the Moon Presence tries to kill you is it tries to, like, take you on as its child, and then it's like, oh, shit, this thing is stronger than me. Mm. And it has that immediate, like, ah, reaction. And then it's like, kill, kill, kill. Sure. Uh, because yeah. you, what is it, what is the line? That you've ob- you absorbed the ancient echoes or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I, I kind of always saw it as killing the moon presence and absorbing its echoes is what kind of kickstarts the process and completes your metamorphosis. Because you have the right. courts of the eye, which grant you great wisdom and great insight and great knowledge of the cosmos. And then you have the ancient echoes yeah. of the moon presence, which are just right. power. You know, the blood echoes are what you use right. to strengthen your physical, to strengthen your sickly spirit, so to speak. Right. And you combine both of those and it sort of kickstarts the process and you be, you ascend to greatness. Right. Excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're going to skip to Gordon's question because you answered some of the other stuff in between. Gordon is asking, do all the hunters know about the hunter's nightmare and just accept it as a price that has to be paid? Or is that an itty bitty teeny weeny font on the bottom of the contract? Yes, it is the fine print that none of them were aware of. Simon knows about it. Simon knows about it, but 
Simon was one of the first ones because the he's wearing yeah, yeah he's from the church workshop um, yeah so yeah. but but no because the answer is no they don't know about it actually the interesting thing about this question is is that it seems like the the real question is what is a hunter it's do you is it just someone who thinks of themselves as a hunter and then they are subject to the rules of the curse of cause or is it a specific you know, lineage that you have to have? Do you have to be a member of a specific group? And it's interesting because the, the fishing hamlet guy is cursing Bergenworth. Right. He's not cursing right, hunters. Because- so presumably, yeah, if you're related, like your effect, Willem is apparently affected by this and he's clearly not a hunter. He's like a vegetable. He can't do anything. The question is, is it is it the people who are the descendants of Gehrman, basically? Descendants, descendants in big air quotes. There's a bunch of lines in the in the um the item descriptions that reference like those who carry the torch of the right. hunt or like those who take on the hunt or inherit the hunt and I think it's right that. it's it's people who think of themselves as a hunter people who think of themselves as someone who gets up and goes and hunts a bunch of beasts well I don't know if it's if it's that they think of themselves that way because like our character gets that without meaning to. Like we just go for a blood transfusion and then we wake up and we're a hunter. So I think it's it's like, but also we're not blood drunk. We're not blood drunk because well, all right. Why do you think we're not blood drunk? Because we're special. Or maybe we are blood drunk, and Eileen is right. If you look at it from a gameplay perspective, you know, all we want to do is go kill more beasts and get more powerful and level up at the hunter's dream and get cooler equipment, which sounds pretty blood drunk. <laughs> Yeah, but but what if, right? What if the reason we're not blood drunk is because we're bound to the dream? And then when we get that Yarnum sunrise ending, if we stick around in Yarnum, we will go blood drunk. I, I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it, yeah. Weren't you saying that the doll somehow purifies us from blood drunkness? Yeah, that's, I think, like, that's something that's that's pretty clear in the Japanese script, but not the English one. So I don't know how much you want to go into it. Could you just elaborate on that briefly? All right. The name that the Blood Echoes get in Japanese is like... It's the Dying Wish. It's Ishii, right? It's Chino Ishii? Well, yeah, but there's different ways. You, it's Chino Ishii, but there's different ways you can read it. And like one of them, because I, I went over this with, with a native speaker who we both know. Uh, Mai. I don't think you know her. Yeah, she's a friend of Sin and I's. And like she was saying, no, the way that you read it is it's, it's, not, it's like the will to blood. It's like, it's not quite, it's kind of like saying bloodlust, but it's, it's a very, very minor form. We are not actually like lusting for blood. You're just developing a taste for it. So that's what you're getting by killing stuff in, in the game. It's like this, this lust for blood is growing in you. And what the doll does is the doll takes that lust for blood and she like purifies it and she like removes it from you and then you get stronger in return. And that's, that's like, how we read it and then i'm like oh yeah and that's exactly what the firekeeper in dark souls 3 does as well like she's about with the abyss like if you get if you get the the um the, oh that yuri whatever they're called the dark sigils or whatever they're called yeah the sigils the stuff from yuri like what the firekeeper does in that is she's like okay i will i will purge you of these sigils so that's kind of what the doll is doing. She's purging you of like this this lust for blood that's growing in you. Then and then that would kind of also explain why they sort of had a doll at the workshop in the first place. And then when you leave the dream, 
because you no longer have access to the doll, there's nothing to stop the buildup of the bloodlust. And that's when you go blood drunk. And that's why, like, Eileen, who has been to the dream, because she says, like, tell, tell, tell oh, the doll I said hello. She was, yeah, she's clearly, like, she was fine at that point. And now that she doesn't have the doll anymore, she's like, no more dreams for me. This is my last death. Right. Jura, too, presumably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, she's going to go blood drunk because she hasn't got anything to, like, get the bloodlust out of. And she does go blood drunk in one branch of the quest line. Yeah, crucially, it's what happens if you don't kill right. Henrik. Because I'm assuming what they're, what they're implying there is, like, you didn't kill Henrik, so she right. killed him. And, that- and, be- and that's sort of what tipped her over the edge. Thank you. Oh, do you want to talk about the contract, though? I never want to talk to you again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the contract. I think, like, we've addressed this before, but, like, I guess we should again. At the start of the game, you have to sign a contract. That's your character creation. That's not the contract that makes you a hunter. That's a contract to be ministered. And it, it's, like, it's got nothing to do with you become a hunter because you signed a contract. And the, the confusing part is there's a reference on, I think it's, like, one of the chords or something to, like, or is it the moon? It's one of the runes or something. It says, like, um, they... They formed the hunter's dream and a contract was established, which makes it sound like, oh, contract. Well, it, it's using the word contract romantically. Like, it's, it's not talking about a literal piece of paper. Yeah, like, we, we're not signing a contract to become a hunter. We're basically just signing a consent right. form. Right. We don't become a hunter until the moon presence or the messengers or whoever, like, points at us and says right. you. And then... So we we didn't sign a contract to become a hunter, basically. And the the contract that they're referring to is something between like Lawrence and the Moon Presence. It's like an agreement, right? Lawrence and the Moon Presence, or Airman and the right. Moon Presence, some some thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Thank you. So I want to ask you, which part of the hunters do you think ends up in the nightmare? Like, is it their, like, soul or consciousness, or what is that? I think it's their physical. They're physically taken, just like we are, by the amygdala. I guess, like, we were talking about the Lovecraft Dreamlands before, and, like, there's two ways to... You can get... You can project there, or you can... There's people who can go there physically. But but it definitely seems to be the case with the hunters that they were brought there physically, because... yeah, but I'm, th- I'm thinking of, like, Maria. Sure, and, and, I, and, and I know Lawrence that, that and you and I will forever disagree about the nature of Maria. Yeah. Yeah. The hunters that we see walking around, killing the beasts, roaming around in the Hunter's Nightmare, they were brought there physically, which, because it specifically states that they disappeared one night. Although, if you want to complicate that, <laughs> the Amygdala on Erden Chapel, the place where it grabs you, there's a dead hunter. There is. There is. So it could be that the hunter's killed and then their, like, consciousness ended up in the dream. That hunter is wearing newer hunter clothing. That it perceives that as that's someone who got picked up by it and died to Frenzy. Oh, Frenzy, right. Okay. Okay. It's also there as as bait for the player to go pick up the... Yeah. Yeah. Get grabbed and die, which is what happened to me the first time I played it. Well, actually, what happened to me the first time I played it is I went up, picked the loot, walked back, and saw the glowing, uh, like, thing, and said, oh, I'm going to go walk into that oh, no. and see what happens. <laughs> the 
first time that happened to me, I was so confused. I thought it was a glitch. So I went to look it up online. <laughs> not alone. Uh, there are people who uh, I've actually seen people who have posted things and like, I, I, I don't know what just happened. I think my game glitched out. And I just posted like, no, you're fine. Just keep playing. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Richie, could you read uh, Tutu's question? A beautiful bear in a tutu asks, if everyone who's present in the Hunter's Nightmare is blood drunk, how do people like Maria end up there, or does the research tower not count as part of the Hunter's Nightmare? I think we've sort of covered this quite a bit already, but Maria, I... This is a whole other podcast. Which we have like three <laughs> At on. this point. <laughs> We've been talking about Maria. Oh, I, I'm, I, sh- I should probably have listened to them prior to coming on to this podcast. So no, I they're very bad. Be, <laughs> uh, be a bit more educated on what you have or haven't talked Look, we have we have a forty minute long podcast on like one note. Like it's I fun. mean I made I've made like sixty minute videos on the Sinister Bell, so No, okay. it's worse. Well I'll take your I'll take you have no idea how bad this has gotten. There's over a hundred of these. <laughs> I think the lock shield was probably the worst. The lock shield? What about it? Well, am I going down a rabbit hole right now asking you what the deal is with the lock shield? There's an, like over an hour of discussing the deal with the lock shield. Why don't you send me that link afterwards and I, I'd love to listen to it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> You could say that in the case of, like, Maria, who doesn't seem to be blood drunk, and there's, like, there's various random healing church people there who, like, I guess we're going to come to this later on, but they may, this could be a real person, but it might also be, like, mm-hmm. some sort of... Like, like, uh, like Yamamura. Yeah. Um, like, those characters, they might not be blood drunk, it might just be if you are carrying, like, the the will of the hunt in you, then you're going to end up in the hunter's nightmare. Like so you can still end up there, even if you're not blood drunk yet. Right. I mean, we we meet the, um, there are a couple of NPC hunters. I don't, I don't believe they have names, official names. Like, you know, like, cause uh, in the base game, you have like Edgar yeah. in the nightmare of men's. There are a couple of NPC hunters along those lines in the research hall. Yes. Um, I don't believe they have official names. I believe it's just like Black Church Guard yeah. Hunter and stuff like that. Um, but you you do run into a few of those. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not... It, it's interesting because when you think of blood drunkenness, it's kind of a... It's not a blurry line because there is a specific tipping point so to speak, but like, would you have called Henrik blood drunk? Would you have called Edgar blood drunk? Like, I don't think so. I think Henrik is because Eileen specifically says that he's gone mad. That's true. That, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Dia Smith, Raro, and Zastis Gastis are asking, what's the deal with the Cthulhu looking enemies? Those are executioners uh, from the sacking of Castle Canehurst. Uh, They're wearing an oversized version of the executioner's garb, and they are carrying church cannons. 
uh, why they have Cthulhu tentacles and why they are in the hunter's nightmare is sort of up to speculation. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they're also referred to as executioners in the uh, official um, naming of them. And uh, they're also wearing large versions of the executioner's garb, similar to what uh, Alfred is wearing. It's also similar to what Ludwig is wearing and what the giants are wearing. Uh, yes, and yeah. similar, slightly similar to what Lugarius is wearing. Yeah, I, I guess um, like although Lugarius yeah. is much more ornate. Like something that that we've sort of settled on in like I haven't talked to you about it, but something that we've both settled on is like executioner. Just like whenever you see that word, I just sub in like church hunters because it just makes more sense of everything. Well, I, I, I don't I don't think that's quite accurate because they were a clear branch of the early church hunters before it was formally established. Yeah, yeah if you like because, if you, yeah. because they, they carried the the hunter's mark on their chest yes. and they followed underneath Logarius, who was a Thumerian elder. Yeah. So I don't think it's quite accurate to lump them in with Ludwig's church hunters. But like they're they're a part of the, because the problem is that the game's like, are oh, the executioners from a faraway land. And it sounds like the, the church well, sort of like called them one. That's yeah. talking about the executioner's gloves, which are not the executioner. Yeah, no, it's real. And it, God, we've talked, the, the, the game is using the word executioner to mean like three different things. It's so confusing. Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. You, it does. Yes, and you want, you, want, you want it to get even worse. You know, you said like they're called executioner. That's their official name. Their official Japanese name is just those who bear a bell. So... Yeah, and like uh, I'm aware. Of yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, my take on those things is like they look to be an early version of what would become church giants, just because of what they do. They just guard the church. Um, this is like something. Um, if you look at the, you know, like Nightmare Urden Chapel, you come out of it. The first thing you see is there's a, there's an old hunter walking down the stairs, and then when right. you go up to encounter the first vicar there are like there are hunt there are hunters guarding it and uh guarding yeah, I don't know well, there, you, there are blood drunk hunters in the area basically yes um when you go to the waking world version of those events there that is like there's a thumerian uh church servant walking down those stairs and the, yes, the big is. stairs are guarded by the Thumer, by more church servants. Uh, the and, ones carrying the stakes. Yeah, yes. and there's, like, church giants and everything who are also, like, Thumerians. They basically just, like... Wandering the area, right. But I, I, one thing I think is important to note is that the blood-drunk hunters are specifically fighting yes. the nightmare executioner. Yeah. That, no, no, but, like, the church used to have, like, just people there. And now, in the present, it's like Thumerians that they're putting to work as like zombie guards. So, like, right, yes. yes. So, I see the the squid head Cthulhu guys as like the transitionary point where it's like, okay, we need someone to guard us. And then they build. They look at the church cannon. It says this cannon was built for use by the church, and they built it for hulking men with deteriorated brains. I should note, though, real quick, that they don't have squid heads. Yeah, they ha- it's like grows out of they there. They have yeah. cosmos heads yeah. that tentacles are coming out of, similar to how you use the author yeah. of the breeze. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's like a precursor to the church giants. Or possibly they are just like a nightmare version of the church giants. It's just like the past. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so we're not going to talk about Simon and Brader. Maybe if we have time at the end. 
But I think we're going to move on straight to Ludwig. Okay. Why do you have a, a, a tone to your voice when you say okay like that? Do you see? Do you see what kind of bully Rich is? I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to try to do. And I already know how to prevent him from doing it. Try me, Richie. Sin has been on a specific Ludwig kick for a while now. Okay. And well, I'm excited to hear it. Sin, why don't you explain your theory about Ludwig to Redgrave and anyone else who hasn't listened to the approximately 33% of our output where you didn't mention this? How about a Brutus explains? Yeah, exactly. So you see, Richie, if I'm going to be embarrassed in front of Redgrave, you're going to be embarrassed in front of Redgrave. We both go down together. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Ebruitus! Yeah, this is Ebruitus. Uh, this is Ebruitus. I'm a great one that Finn sometimes summons <laughs> to discuss things for her. And she just wants you to know that uh, she has a theory that it was uh, Ludwig who killed Maria in the tower. <laughs> and she That's not a very good theory, Brutus. He's a little, well, you know, oh, he's just a theory. Do you have some evidence that points towards that? <laughs> well, you'll have to ask Finn that. I'm just the messenger. Okay, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go now. <laughs> Thanks, Brutus. Okay, bye, Brutus. Okay. <laughs> what, what a bafflingly popular character. Is that actually a popular character on your podcast? <sighs> Depressingly. Oh. <laughs> it started off as a one-off joke, and there have been <laughs> multiple requests to bring it back. Hmm. I don't know why. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, thank you for the explanation, Brutus. That's quite all right. Uh, yeah. Um, I... I'm not sure I would agree with that theory offhand, but I would be willing to listen to <laughs> further suggestions and input as to why that might be the case. We have a little conversation on it with Richie, so maybe I'll send it to you, and uh, if you feel like listening to it, you can, because I don't want this to take up the precious time we have with you about the Hunter's Nightmare. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, why don't you message me afterwards and send me that information and I'll, I'll be happy to take a look. Okay. Okay. So, uh, can somebody quickly refresh our memory on who Ludwig is? Ludwig is, was the, uh, quote unquote, first and greatest of the church hunters. He was basically the one who, uh, took up after the powder kegs kind of went to shit and bad things happened with them. And after Lawrence became a beast, uh, the church needed basically a new armed force and more specifically one that didn't operate in the shadows, one that had the support of the people. And Ludwig was kind of the paragon exemplar champion of the church. He armed the population. He trained them he recruited the church hunters and he kind of became the sort of Captain America hero of the church in, uh, you know, supporting and becoming the new uh, face basically of the church. But in his, but although it interestingly enough, after you beat him, when you talk to him, he does say that he had several detractors who accused him of being nothing more than a blood soaked beast. And he also, 
kind of makes an anachronistic statement where he 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 hopes that his uh, church hunters have become honorable Spartans, uh, which kind of lines up along with Yosefka's uh, mentioning of the Hippocratic oath yeah, yeah. as things that don't as things that yeah. and and the uh, no, presence no. of the Lucerne in Demon Souls yeah. uh, as far as things that are that probably should have been omitted but mm-hmm. are fine and don't really matter. Thank you. And yeah, we we encounter him in the Hunter's Nightmare, and he has turned into a horse thing that vomits arcane goo out of one of its two heads. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, the, the it's, it's a fantastic design. Yeah, yeah, and the, from just from yeah. from a, a character design standpoint, Ludwig the Accursed slash Ludwig the Holy Blade, um, and that boss fight is amazing, and it's <laughs> it was so amazing that they beat it to death in Dark Souls Three. Um, uh, with with like twenty other boss fights that had almost identical mechanics and stages to it, but that's a different conversation. Thank you, um, Rich. Could you read Titch's question? Beautiful Bear in a tutu asks, "What is the deal with Ludwig's victims? They don't exactly fit the profile of the blood drunk hunters either. Are they supposed to be some kind of projection of his psyche?" Are we talking specifically about like the blood-covered, uh, the like corpses, ghouls yeah. that are walking yeah. around in the in the blood? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if we think of the surrounding research hall as being kind of Maria's sphere of influence, the river of blood definitely seems to be Ludwig's sphere of influence. Yeah, Ludwig's in this pit with all these corpses. He's like trampling them. And then the right. blood from there is the, that's the source of the river that's like running. Right, it's flowing, it's yeah. flowing upwards because yeah. it's you know, uh, you know, non-Euclidean geometry. Yeah. It's flowing upwards sure. into the hunter's nightmare. And I guess the reason that Tudu's asking, like, um, what the deal with them is, is because there's two of them that we see that seem to be conscious. They're not just like it's not like a detail of the environment. I would argue that the research hall patients also appear to be conscious yeah. as they're grasping and pleading for Maria and they're talking about hearing the water. But yeah. I also don't think those are actual uh, people who are there. I think they're, well, it depends on how you define real. Yeah, yeah. When I say they're, they're not, they're real. I don't think they were original people from the waking world who were in the research hall who went there. Whether or not you want to call them real is kind of a semantic discussion, uh, which I love to have, but yeah. I, I won't take time with. Uh, you, you know full well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, that, that's sort of my passion. Yeah, I would call the, the ghoul corpses, I don't know if we want to go, Ludwig's victims, I guess. Um, you could see that maybe even as how he perceives the destruction he's caused um, and that he maybe he's even torturing himself with it because he certainly sounds after you when you beat him and when you talk to him, he certainly sounds uh, remorse. tortured yeah. and remorseful. Yeah. And so that could be his own guilt in a way. It's possible, though, that like th- some of them at least might be blood drunk hunters who went to the nightmare and just got killed. And then we got pilots. Definitely, that definitely could be the case, and that would definitely fit the uh, hell motif. Yeah, in that particular yeah. region, the Bruce hell motif, hmm. as as if those are are you know hunters who, you know, if we if we extrapolate this to being something that 
has been going on to an entire city for what maybe 50 to 100 years now um you could almost think of that as yeah as it, perhaps those corpses are actual blood drunk hunters that have just been killed and stomped yeah. on yeah like and matched um, into the river of blood and like we do we do find dead hunters in there like we find like the constable said it's just on presumably the rest of that's true, you do. yeah who just got killed yeah yeah that, that, that's a good point yeah yeah so if you imagine like they end up there and they sort of like maybe like they stagger up that that path that we go and Ludwig just stops them and kills them and then they end up in his pit, right? Something like that, yeah. Okay. Princess Shook is asking, "How did Ludwig fuse with the horse?" Um, so that's a common thing I've heard a lot is that that Ludwig fused with his horse. The problem with it is that. There's no real evidence that Ludwig ever had a horse. Yeah. And we see a lot of evidence that the the more advanced beast transformations take on animalistic characteristics. Yeah. And Ludwig appears to, instead of taking on the characteristic of a stag or a gorilla, has taken on one of a horse. Um, if there was one reference somewhere to Ludwig's, like, you know, his mighty stallion or something like that, that I, I, I might be willing to give that thought a lot more credence, but it just seems to be the form that his beasthood has taken. And also, like, if you imagine hunting in Yarnum, a horse would be more trouble than it would be worth. It would be a disaster. It's yeah. all these stairs <laughs> and ladders and very narrow areas that you well, it, It's very London, it's very prog. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the city is based around is based yeah, on Prague. It's, it's Prague, so, yeah. And like you can like, tell, I had horses because there's horses and carriages. But if you're hunting right. a beast, it's not going to be helpful. Richie, do you have a theory as to why Ludwig looks like a horse monster? Oh yeah, well, like Redgrave was mentioning before the whole idea, he was mentioning it's a Buddhist hell motif. Yes, so the whole is. Hunter's Nightmare is a series, like by which I mean, like the River of Blood area. That's all just cobbled together out of like bits and pieces of buddhist hell and in buddhist hell in that there's like buddhism has like 800 different hells and in that particular hell the sinners are tortured by a horse there's like yeah. there's a horse and an ox and they torture you and the i'm just assuming from um, from what's it uh journey to the west too they're those the the horse and the ox are also in journey to the west they're they're famous Eastern mythology characters. Yeah, yeah if, if you keep an eye out for them, you will see, like, ox and horse-headed monsters in pairs, like in a lot yeah, of Japanese they're, they're very common in Japanese and Chinese, yeah. uh, Tibet, especially in, like, Tibetan stuff. Yeah, they're just called ox head and horse face. Yeah. Yeah. And um, l- like we were talking about Lawrence, you were saying Lawrence wasn't actually on fire and everything. So I'm thinking, like, the form that Ludwig takes, Ludwig's beast form may not actually have looked like that necessarily he may just have taken on this like horse face yeah he, he may have just sort yeah. of looked like this coin um and then yeah. once he was in the nightmare he sort of grew you know into a into a cleric basically yeah for lack of a better term and there's a lot of stuff like about his design that you just don't see anywhere else like the additional limbs and the the second head and everything it's not well, that's sort of where the the theory that he fused with his horse came from is because he definitely seems to have two heads and four arms and 
like that. Yeah, but like the t- this thing about the heads is like that the biting head that's just like a pile of like eyes and teeth. Yeah. That's when you get him to half health, that head stops moving and then the the, right. the, well, the head takes over. And the so head that you talk to when you defeat yeah. him is the horse head. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, that's the two halves of Ludwig. That's like the be- the beast possessed angry half and the the human reason. It's just Ironically, the human head is the horse one. Well, it's it's kind of half. It's like a distended. It's like it's, like, so it's like half of his face is becoming a snout, and the other half is like peeled back or something. Like it's a, yeah. like I said, before, it's a very good design. Yeah, yeah. I think that before the DLC came out, I think the Forgotten Madman was one hundred percent supposed to be Ludwig. And then they sort of retconned it because they wanted to put him in the DLC. Oh yeah, yeah. The Forgotten Madman in the um, in the Chalice Dungeons you fight, who is carrying, who is using Ludwig's holy blade and is wielding uh, a call beyond, and is wearing the Madman tatters, which are just sort of decayed versions of the Tomb Prospector garb, which is presumably mm-hmm. what Ludwig wore. Mm-hmm. And Ludwig's rifle as well. Don't and yes, and he also has Ludwig's yeah, rifle. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, and he's escorted by someone wielding the Kirkhammer. Um, so I, I think it, it, the, the original goal for that was for that to have been Ludwig, who got lost in the Chalice Dungeons and went insane or something like that. Yeah, and then yeah. they sort of developed this new ultimate fate for Ludwig. A, because they wanted to include the Moonlight Greatsword, and B, because they needed a interesting boss fight. And I think both uh, reasons led them to putting in Ludwig. Well, actually, what really happened was that after killing Maria, Ludwig went into hiding in the chalice. Not only is Ludwig guilty, but he's <laughs> innocent of not being guilty. <laughs> Wait, can you say that again? No. <laughs> On to the next question. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you. Um so, so now let's talk about research Paul. Richie, could you read the question by Shook? Shook asks, why are there wheelchair hunters gunning down patients in the research hall? It's a very good question. Because <laughs> the patients are all breaking out of the things. Isn't that yeah. Really? yeah? I guess. Sure. Patient rebellion. Yeah. Because hmm. like the the ones they're gunning down, it's like it's like a set piece where they're all running. They break yeah, out of a room. Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, oh shit, they got out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, that's a that's a perfectly good explanation for it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Are we going to assume that that happened in the waking world as well? That no, like the patients. I don't think. I don't the- think we have to. Okay. I, I don't think we can make any assumptions about the accuracy of events. Hmm. Because presumably, well, I was going to say presumably the fishing hamlet people were not fish. Well, but I think they were. I, I think that's entirely possible. Well, it's just that you the skulls you find are human skulls, hmm. and there's yes, but like if you. If you look at the fish people, a lot of them do just have, right. it's just like a human skull covered in barnacles, and right. the rest of them look like a fish, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the question is whether that happened after once, whatever, and it's not even clear. The, a lot of the fishing Hamlet stuff is very ambiguous on purpose as to how much of the transformation of everyone took place before or after 
the genocide. I guess we'll we'll get to it later on mm-hmm. in more detail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Richie, could you read the next question? Artyom asks, "Wouldn't that be cool if Healing Church were actually using the research hall as a secret hideout uh, for their experiments? Presumably, going like going there at will." Um, kind of like suggesting something like the Nightmare of Mensis, where like Mensis can. Oh, sure. I've heard this idea before. Yeah, that. Yeah, that, like I, yeah, we we talked about it when the DLC came out. Yeah, you yelled at. I probably yeah. did yell at you. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of bad ideas. Well, I feel like that. Well, anyway, data mining has vindicated several of them. The reason that I was saying, hey, it seems like this is somewhere that the church have access to isn't because like, Oh, theory, real canon 3am. Don't call the boss baby. It's like when you go in there, everyone is just acting like this is an actual just healing church place. And you've got like Braidor in the cell. And it's really specific that like the church put Braidor in the cell and you've got like the guy in the wheelchair with the Thumerian patrolling. Like this is just the healing church's prison. Yeah. It does seem like, okay, if you looked at that, if you, Remove for a second that you just went through the Hunter's Nightmare and you just saw that place. It's like, okay, this just looks like a place the Healing Church are running. Yes, that place could definitely just be another level in the base game. Yeah, so that's why, like, I was saying that, like, it just seems like the Healing Church, this doesn't seem like part of the Nightmare. This just seems like the Healing Church is, like, they seem to be doing reasonably okay here. I think that everything above the elevator... 100% 100% looks like the nightmare. It looks like Maria's projections of the nightmare, and these are all early things from the yeah, early yeah. literature. I will say that one hallway with Yamamura and Braidor in it, Gratia is in it as well. Yes. That does seem like it could potentially be something that they just chucked people into. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the reason I was saying, like, data mining has vindicated me is that <laughs> it turns out that originally, like, it was two DLCs. Yes. And one was in the Nightmare and one was in the Waking World, and the Waking World one was the Clock Tower Prison. But, I mean, that is why it seems the way it does. Like, I don't, I don't know what there is to say other than that. Like, it seems that way because it was that way and then it wasn't. But they weren't going to redesign the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Did we answer Tom's question? Yes. Well, they were asking, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. is it a place well, to... Question, wouldn't that be cool? Okay. I think, no, that would be horrifying. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I don't think that would be very cool. And also, it's, it's possible that, like, they still have that facility. We just don't go there. Well, that's the other thing, is we, we never get a chance to actually go inside the clock tower in the waking world, so we yeah. don't. True. Yeah. Much like with Lauren, we never get a chance to actually go there, although we get to go to the catacombs underneath it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Eden asks, what was the purpose of the construction of the astral block tower? Uh, well, everything would have been fixed and solved, and all of my problems would have neatly fell into place if Maria had been Carol, which was my original theory before the DLC came out. Um, cause that would have just made everything make perfect sense. What with the astral clock tower and all, but the, right. the, the clock tower appears to be something that was used to either search for or communicate with, uh, the great ones. It uses the, and it's based on a real, 
clock yeah, tower. It's based on an astronomical clock in Prague. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's used basically to read the cosmos, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ties into what the choir are doing because mm-hmm. the choir, are, the choir are in Upper Cathedral Ward where the clock is, and they're all trying to interpret the stars. Yeah, it's the called a clock tower, but it doesn't tell time. It, it's it's an it's an yeah. astronomical clock tower, which was a, a real thing um, that was basically used to try. It's and, basically a calendar. Yeah, basically than a clock. Yeah, and actually, if you look at it. Um, the the waking world clock tower exterior and the one in the nightmare actually use different textures. It's sort of hard to tell, but if you look at the one in the waking world, it actually it's marked out by month. It has like the oh, dates. It? it has it has the numbers one to thirty one on it oh. to show you what day it is. Yeah, but they change it in the DLC. And, uh, it has a slightly different face design. Well, I imagine they got more time to work on it. I think it may, it may have just had a different purpose originally, though. We don't really know. Well, originally, you know, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, originally, like, you were going <laughs> to go there in the base game. Yeah, and there was going to be a giant brain person there as well. Yeah. What giant brain person? There's a, um, like, it's really early. It, like, looks like shit. But yeah. there's, like, a very low-poly early, it, it's like one of the research all patients, oh, like a okay. person with a huge okay. brain. And, like, I, again, going back to what I was saying about Mensis, I suspect that, like, that was meant to be in the clock tower to sort of, like, mirror when you go to Mensis, the central sort of glowing light thing as a giant brain. It was meant to further clue you into, like, oh, this all happened before. Right. It's sort of like um, everything you see in the waking world is a very early version, and then you go into the Nightmare of Mensis and you see a much more advanced version of the sickness whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, the construction of the clock tower, I guess it depends on, because this is never really, like, nailed down how long you think the Healing Church have been there. Well, that whole question is vague, very intentionally, the timeline of, of how long things have occurred. Because when you think about it from a construction standpoint, it's like, wait a second, all of this must have, this, this has to have taken place over at least, you know, 150 years or something like that for all yeah, these statues yeah. to go up and all of that. But then you look at the yeah. timeline of people and of events taking place, and wait a second, people are talking about something as if it only happened like 50 years ago. So a, yeah. lot, a lot of that stuff is is very in- okay. intentionally vague. Yeah, but what, what I'm gonna say is like all around Yarnum you find there's like gargoyles that look like messengers, there's statues yeah. that look like great ones. Yes. Um I assume that like that building at least like this the basic structure of it was already old there. Fumarian building, presumably. It's just an old Fumarian building. The healing church moved in there and like they obviously did some remodeling to build their like research hall and everything. But like that would it's assuming again that like the interior of the clock in the nightmare is the same as the interior of the clock in the waking world, which we don't actually know. Well, which we like, have more. We can't even really talk. Yeah, about. yeah. Like, like those those runes around the clock. Like they may always have been there. That's just some old Thumerian designs. In the same way that, like, you go into Erden Chapel, there's the Erden rune up the top. Or in the sense so, that when yeah. you go when you go to the cathedral ward, you look at the gates. They have the Canehurst um, emblem on them because they were originally. Presumably subservient to Castle Canehurst back at the height of its power. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got like 
um, the church adopt like communion, the rune as their symbol, right, and like the communion runes. Presumably, that was them. But like the central, I guess it would it would you know it would just be like if you if you found like the ruins of an old like like Stonehenge or something, which used to have an astronomical. Or room. like in 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 the city I live in, there's a Buffalo Wild Wings that the building used to be an old bank <laughs> that they and they. Yeah. The bank vault into a place where you can eat. That's amazing. So it's it's yes, it's it's actually yeah. very cool. Yeah, we had that with uh, with a tram stop. Huh. They turned a tram stop into a pizza hut. That's cool. And you just ate in the carriages. Yeah, that's actually that's that's pretty cool. But th- I think you know we're kind of joking, but that's also a very real example of something that happens all yeah. the time. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably like it's like an old, old Thumerian clock, and or at least like post-Thumerian but pre-Healing Church clock, and that's why it's the way it is. Well, I mean, when you go into Old Yarnum, you find oh, yeah, remnants of, you find remnants of Thumerian religion down there, and with the Church of the Good. I was, yeah. I, I was also going to say that if you go into Old Yarnum, there's just another astral clock. It's like it's the one Jura's clock tower, yes. like it uses yes. the same time. Yes. yeah. Okay, thank you. Mm. So I guess now we can talk a bit about Maria. Can you quickly and generally just remind us, who is Maria? Uh, Maria was one of Gehrman's apprentices at, well, I'm not sure if apprentice is the right word for it. She was at Bergenworth. Um, She worked alongside Gehrman. The details of that relationship are never specifically gone into um although it is mentioned that she admired him but she was unaware of his more romantic feelings towards her um and presume and it is also noted that she alongside Gehrman and maybe other hunters but the um took place in the massacre at the fishing hamlet at the command of Birkenworth and uh, after she died, presumably by her own hand, uh, Gehrman fell into a deep depression and created the doll of her. That's as good as we're going to get, I think. That's, it's that's, so... as, that's as really as good as you can get without going into yeah. just yeah. raw speculation. It's as good, yeah, or or like, um, yeah, just inventing things, right? Uh, you know, yeah. Okay, thank you. And Princess Crooked is asking, I'd be interested in a discussion of the research hall, Adeline, the patients, and Maria, and how they relate to each other. Adeline is interesting because uh, she's a reference to something that is just very briefly kind of glossed over in the base game, which is, which is the blood saint, and exactly what that is. And they really don't give you much other than... Uh, Adela's status as a blood saint and Ariana's status as being someone who is not qualified or doesn't have the right permit or credentials to be out giving blood. Yeah. It, it, it appears that the church had some kind of process for cultivating specifically women whose role it was to give out blood, their blood as it had been cultivated to have healing properties. 
But with with Adeline, we get a little more of like the purpose of it because she's not just giving out her blood. The whole point is that like they're filling her with with blood. They're also putting water in her head to make her head swell up so she can try communing. Right. Right. So it's not just that she's the blood that she offers you. It's it's actually kind of secondary to what she's really doing, which is that she's like. She's getting more. She's kind of doing what Willem does. She's like meditating and sort of like expanding her consciousness. Right, and and it, it brings to mind the question of of like, is that something that's still going on? Because you, they, she mentions herself as a blood saint, and in the present, we clearly have something along similar, at least using the same title um, mm. as a blood saint, and except she doesn't at all appear to be, although she does appear to have her own problems, she doesn't yeah. appear to be in any way implicit in the experiments or in the atrocities of the church, because she seems completely confused and bewildered by what's going on. Mm. Whereas Adeline is at peace. She's very calm. She's, she appears to be there of her own will, though you know when you talk about someone being there in a prison, experimented on of their own will, you know, without really going into what that character is, what that character has been told by people, what that character has been raised to believe, it's hard to establish exactly what their own will is. Um, you know, there are many people who believe themselves to be doing something against their own self-interest out of duty or out of uh, pride at being selected to do something um, that has been pressured or inflicted upon them by people in power. That's certainly not something unique to Bloodborne. Yeah. Adeline is sort of presented as being the, as being someone that, she's really there to build up Maria as a character in the sense that she is presented as someone who Maria felt terribly sorry about, but she certainly didn't do anything to stop the experiments that were going on. And so we, we talk about, you know, you can talk about how Maria, uh, you know, felt guilty and felt shame and was sad. But more importantly, and most importantly to her character, I think, is that while she had those feelings, she certainly didn't stop. I guess, like, I, we sort of skipped over what the whole deal with the hall and the patients actually is, like how it functions. Because it, what it seems to be happening is that the healing church, they set up this like makeshift sort of hospital thing in the grand cathedral. And they say, Hey, bring us your sick. We will heal them. And then that is a ploy. That is a ruse that allows them to get access to basically bodies that they can then experiment on. So the idea being that like out the front in the sim, this is exactly what happens with the, the imposter at Yosefka's clinic. It's like, Bring me all the sick, I'll heal them. I'll make them safe again. But it's just like, oh, this person, when we injected the stuff into them, they had this reaction. So then you take them up the elevator and, like, behind closed doors. And they start experimenting. And it's also happening in the presence, not just with the, the live patients, but now that the church is so firmly established, they're also doing it to the dead. Yeah. Bring us your corpses for burial. We'll make sure they get uh, a peaceful rest, and then they're just being processed and chopped up for for you know body parts to be used in experiments. Yeah, 
know, the blasphemous uh, Yarnum burial service. Yeah, blasphemous Yarnum burial. Um, well, the next question from Shook is about, like, is Adeline there voluntarily? And, like, what is a blood saint? And we sort of covered that. Yeah, I was sort of reading these two questions yeah. simultaneously, yeah. and it's sort of... Yeah, I think we sort of... Like, Adeline is... Adeline's specific about, like, she became a blood saint voluntarily against Maria's wishes. But it's not clear, like, was Adeline, like, one of the patients and then she sort of showed promise or did she actually show up one day and say, hey, I want to be a blood saint? Okay, thank you. Can you just quickly tell us what happened in the fishing uh, the fishing hamlet was once a one day, presumably, Koss, the corpse of Koss washes up in the fishing hamlet. Uh, the people around it worship it as a, as a deity. Um, they, st- they start cutting open the, the, or not cutting open, but the, it's full of parasites. Uh, yeah. Koss's corpse is full of parasites that uh, the people of the fishing hamlet use for pretty much everything. You look at their entire town, it's all, the uh, whole economy of that town seems to be built around whale oil and paris and slugs and oil and parasites. So they were probably eating it. Uh, they were probably using it as, you know, uh, to burn their lamps. And so ev- basically they became sort of symbiotically attached to the corpse of Koss which I know, Rich, I know you've talked about um, well, yeah. the, the, the washed-up yeah, god. The, drift, the drifting ashore god, it's the... Uh... Yeah, Richie has a new theory now. Oh, well, no, th- this is not, like, new theory. This is, like, like we were talking before at the very, very beginning about, like, the, 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 um, the voice you hear when the amygdala grabs you. Right. And you were saying, like, oh, that we know it because, like, it's one of the voices they use in the fishing hamlet with all the women talking over each other. And it's really hard to hear what they're saying. When we took it apart, they tell you what happened with Cos. And they specifically say, like, we beckoned Cos. Now Cos is dead. Forgive us. So it looks very much like Cos was alive. And they beckoned Cos to the shore, and that's when the hunters killed Cos. Fix your ears to hear our cause, cause we have beckoned and cause is dead. Forgive us and curses upon the fiends. But it's so mixed in with the other stuff, you can't hear it unless you actually take the files apart. Well, the fact that you can't hear it unless you take the file apart in no way means that it's something to be considered. It's not as if a character is talking to you and telling you this is the story of what happened. Yeah, and also it, it doesn't, like, it's kind of a semantic point anyway, because the whole, they still did the same, they still defiled the corpse. What matters is that German and Maria came, and like I've said before, possibly with others, but the, the only two people we know of were there were Simon, or were not Simon. Although, uh, so the reason I actually had Simon in my head is because you do find a corpse of a Harrod hunter being chopped yeah. up. Yeah. But German and Maria came and they massacred the people, took their skulls, bored into it, looking for eyes at the bequest of Bergenworth. And the great sin that they performed, which kicked off everything, was they either 
took the corpse of the orphan back to Bergenworth, or they killed the orphan and took its cord of the eye back to Bergenworth. And so now the orphan is sort of stuck in this limbo state. Yeah. So I guess that leads into the first question. Last and First Man asks, is German the father of the orphan? And if not, how is it that they are connected and bound to each other and why? So we can all thank Aegon of Astora for, for all of these theories. Because Aegon of Astora was the one who discovered that the orphan's crying and German's crying when he's having his nightmares, it's actually the exact same sound file. <laughs> yes. So that has led to many, 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 many theories about the connection between Garman and the orphan. Um, I don't know. I do know that it appeared that I would imagine that whatever sharp weapon the orphan is using, it's entirely possible that Garman cut that out, brought that back, and made that the burial blade. It's definitely the case that Garman. Uh, has terrible nightmares about what he did to cause. I would say I'm not sure exactly how great ones reproduce. I'm not sure how cause reproduces. So if cause, if Gehrman was imprinted on cause and that happened, I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of, a lot of theories about the connection between Gehrman and the orphan. Um, and I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think Gehrman is the father of the orphan. Uh, I do think Gehrman is connected by the fact that he butchered the orphan and dissected it and took its body parts back to Bergenworth for study. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my take on it is like the orphan of cause, as in the actual child of cause, was probably just a little slug thing, like when you meet Ariana like Ariana's child. Because the whole point is like the children of great ones, they die when they're born. They don't really this child. Right. So the orphan, like you were saying, it's like a limbo state. And I think that's the same deal with like Lawrence and Ludwig and now the orphan. Yeah. Well, no, because we don't, well, maybe we do. We'll get into that later on. But like, (laughs) my my take on it is that like the orphan dies when it is a little slug thing. And its third court is taken because obviously it's dead. And then the thing that we fight, the sort of monstrous screaming naked man with a placenta weapon, that is in the same way that like Lawrence is this burning thing and Ludwig is this horse thing. That's just like its, its consciousness has been trapped in this place for so long that it's like, it's like warped into this monster. It's and, like you're fighting. And if you like wanted, the, you could perceive that as its perception of the thing that murdered it, which would be. That's what I, yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting at. That like, so it takes on the form of like the thing that it's linked to the thing, the man who was responsible for everything that's happened. So it becomes this like horrible mirror image of Gurman. I, I think that's, uh, I think that's as good an explanation as you could get without going into speculation. So does it mean German feels guilty about what happened in the Hamlet? Yeah, he's that's the whole thing, that like he's driven insane by the nightmares about the, the orphan. German's German's guilt and the lack thereof kind of 
ping pongs back and forth. And it, it, it's, it's, it is a bit more complicated than it, it first appears because everything you learn about Gehrman makes him, paints him as this tortured soul. But every time you talk to Gehrman, he's so dismissive and callous to you that it completely, yeah. it's the complete opposite of what you learn about him and his backstory. Because everything you learn about him makes it, paints him as this really tortured, damned, martyred soul. But then, you know, when you refuse to die by his hand, he laughs at you and he stands up and he sort of is snide to you. And it just very much conflicts with even the way you talk to, even the way he talks in his sleep. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, like we talked about like removed audio and stuff. There's actually a line that explains why he's like that and they don't use it. Because well, he says specifically, if I have to kill you because if you take, I can't let you take my place because he's like, he's trying to help yes, you. Yes, he is. That's why he's saying, like, yeah. He says, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't die, change the fact that he so snidely comments, like, oh, well, it's always up to the hunter's helper to clean up these messes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So, Princess Sauron is asking, does the hunter's nightmare have a host? Who is it? The orphan? Maria? Uh, the term host people use because of Mikolash's um, nomenclature as host of the nightmare. Um, host, uh, the dreams don't really have hosts. That's kind of something people yeah. assume of because of Mikolash. Mikolash's title as host is more like um, MC of the nightmare. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's the presenter of the nightmare. He's, he's the, the master of ceremonies. He's not the hostess, and yeah. it's not as if the, it's not as if he's having a nightmare. Uh, is not having yeah, a dream that we are inside. We are in an actual place. That's yeah, like and and that's that's like you can see why people reach that conclusion. You touch Nicolette's corpse, and then you end up in a thing where he's the host. Right. Of it. It, it's a totally reasonable uh, conclusion to make, but when you look at a all the evidence in the game and b the source material. Um, in the the Dreamland cycle of Lovecraft's writing, that the game is clearly riffing on, all of that sort of leads to to that not being how it works. But you totally get yeah. why people, you know, when because you go up and you enter that nightmare of Mensis through Mikolash's corpse, you totally get why people have that uh, yeah, explanation yeah. for it. And I guess we should also point out that, like. Host of the nightmare is just like one way you could translate his name, and like he's called like he could be called Mikolash the Master of the Nightmare or Mikolash the Lord of the Nightmare, just as easily. Like the the specific use of host is what's confusing people. I guess kind of like um like uh, in Dark Souls, you had Manus the Father of the Abyss. Sure. Yeah, which my oh, did did he like create the abyss? And it's like, well, it's yes and no. It's like not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anyway, the Souls games are full of nothing if not flowery romantic titles for characters that are not really like accurate <laughs> from a literal standpoint. Yeah. Okay. So now we have a question about the timeline. Jadis asks, 
where does the creation of the Hunter's Nightmare fall in the greater timeline? I guess the confusing thing is like the Hunter's Nightmare is a, an ongoing creation. Right, it's, it's growing organically. Yeah. The very, very beginning of it would be like after the Hamlet yeah. raid, but then it's continued to grow from that point. And it's continued to take in people who are hunters and it's, and that has caused it to grow, which has caused it to take in more people who are hunters. And so, you know, you can, you can view it as having started at the shoreline and then slowly spreading throughout the fishing hamlet down through the research hole and then growing outwards into the hunter's nightmare in sort of a reverse chronological order. But the, the, the creation of it, and I, I'm not sure if creation is the, best word to use but the creation of it uh, would have been probably the moment that Garman murdered the orphan yeah okay thank you uh we have a couple of questions about the weapons cyber zaichik is asking how did the old hunter equipment evolve into later yarnum hunter equipment uh it became less Flashy and more practical, which was Ludwig's big um, sticking point, was we're not going to make these intricate designs that, that we, you can use once and then they fall apart and break. We're going to make swords because they're cheaper to use and we can mm-hmm. give them to more people. And we're going to make hammers because they're cheaper to make and you can give them more people and you can just tell people to hit them with them. They also make a point of saying that, like, Ludwig's weapons are designed for yeah, hunting big. Point. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, what happens is, like, presumably there are beasts prior to there being, like, cleric beasts, but they're the little, right. like, and the, the second they see the Lor- what Lawrence turns into, they, they realize we need a new plan. <laughs> yeah, so that, that leads to, like, that's why the, the hunting weapons that we associate with the Saw Hunter badge, things like the the saw cleaver and the like the cane and stuff, the cane's a church weapon or whatever. Um, like the, the axe and everything, they're like small, but then you start getting like Ludwig's holy blade and the Kirk hammer, just these absolutely massive. That are designed things. basically for, for, for hunting down cleric beasts because the church, and I believe yeah. it's Ludwig's holy blade that specifically says this, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of like the church realized they needed bigger and more weapons designed for hunting much mm-hmm. larger creatures. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Richie, could you read the next question? Princess Beef asks, are any of the weapons in the DLC better than in the main game? Because technically they shouldn't be unless the hunters got worse at building stuff. No. The saw cleaver is, is hands down the best weapon in the game. Oh, yeah? Objectively speaking, yes. How come? Uh, the stats and moveset and speed of it are all incredible. The church pick has the best stats associated with it, but the moveset is not great. Um, the burial blade has a fantastic moveset, but the stats are not great. And the saw cleaver has fantastic stats and a fantastic moveset. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. But what, what I was saying is, like, we kind of got into did they get worse over time like they saw they became less intricate they became on purpose like, yes yeah. because the powder kegs are, are forever noted as loving impractically like flourished <laughs> and uh, like ridiculous like the 
you know, the boom hammer is the best. The boom hammer <laughs> is hilarious, but why on earth would you mass produce those and distribute those to an army? Unless like, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, you know, when you could just give everyone a sword. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. There were a couple of questions about cut content. Well, I will refer to Richard's uh, authority here <laughs> because 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 he certainly knows more than I do when it comes to cut content. Okay, so Cyber Zaychik is saying, was the research tower originally meant to be in the waking world? We are reasonably certain it was. Yes. Thank you. Storm Marcus says, Richard previously stated many times that the Old Hunters DLC is a culmination of what FromSoft intended for the main game, but couldn't have for various reasons. Judging by that, is there anything we can speculate about what they cut from the main game and restored to some degree in the DLC? And they use the example of um, the elevator with Lawrence's skull. Um, I don't really think it's a culmination of what was intended. I think it's more like it was a chance for them to have like another shot at stuff that they couldn't finish on time. I mean, you see the vermin stuff definitely as they they really wanted to do, but didn't have the time, or whatever, yeah. whatever they reason they couldn't do it. And so, with with all of Volter's quest line and that stuff, they met, they got another shot yeah. at it. Yeah, um, and the whole like cause thing. Yeah, being a I mean, that's a good example like of of a plot line that clearly they had at some point, and then they cut, and then they got another chance to to finalize. Well, from from what we've seen, it it seems like as they were nearing completion of it, they realized they were going to make a DLC anyway. So they, that's why, like, they sort of they intentionally like left things open, knowing that they had a chance to address it later on. I mean, if you if you've played Sekiro, like, <laughs> I definitely you can definitely see the exact same thing with uh, Tomoe. It, it seems to be a very Souls thing to do, a very FromSoft thing to do, which is to like, here's a very clear character. Um, you know, they, they clearly learned a lot from the success of Artorias in the sense of, you know, having this option to explore a character in depth and, ha- and build a DLC around them. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's the crucial thing about the Artorias stuff is, like, they wanted that in vanilla Dark Souls and they just didn't. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I like, the example that Stonemark is using is the elevator with Lawrence's skull. So, like, we know that early on there was a human skull on the Grand Cathedral in the Waking World. And I I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast, but I can reveal um, now. Because, like, I know people who do 3D, like, uh, they've been going through the 3D, like, the OBJ files. The elevator in the wake, the Grand Cathedral um, uh, altar in the Waking World is an elevator. Oh, and it, and it can go down to presumably where in the reveal trailer the the man character finds the beast skull. There's no way to make it move, but it has the parts that would make it move. It has like the chains, the pulleys and everything. And if you look at the project beast trailer, like when the camera goes up, you can see that there is like a shaft above it. That's not there anymore. So we're pretty sure that like the whole, and possibly like the pendant that you get from Amelia was a part of this rather than what it, what it is now, which is like, functionally useless that you would have somehow used a pendant to activate that altar in the waking world if that was the case it would make sense why they referenced that in the dlc if only as like an in-developer sort of joke 
that you use the pendant from that altar. Yeah, sure. No, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. And we have one last question from Dalek Sachs. Is the hunter's nightmare a nightmare where you turn up for hunter class, but you've forgotten your pants? That is a hunter's nightmare. That is the nightmare that a hunter can have. <laughs> well, as people will know, before Lance got free cam working, I did beat the game with no pants on to show you that your leg does disappear. An incredible addition to, uh, to the community. I guess that's it. Thank you, Redgrave, so much for coming by. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, where can people find you? Basically, if you just Google Redgrave Bloodborne, you'll, you'll find everything I have. You'll find my book. Um, you'll find my videos. You'll find my Twitter. Uh, I have no current plans for content, but I would never rule it out for the future. I, I would never say never when it comes to going back and making more little things in the Arnhem. Mm -hmm. I would never say never when it comes back to going back and making more articles, but I have no current plans for that. I do post on Twitter occasionally. Um, and if you just Google Redgrave Bloodborne, you'll be able to find me wherever. Thank you so much for coming. It's been awesome. It's been my pleasure. Yep, it's uh, the, the culmination of the last, I think, 18 months of podcasts. We finally got Redgrave on. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored to be the goal. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be the, the, uh, the castle in the distance that you chase. 